Dove Men Plus Care. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Thanks to two Johnnies and Afric. It's the 29th of February and you're listening to Game On. Coming up today, we'll preview the start of the Formula One season. We'll hear how the Ireland cricketers are doing in Afghanistan. We'll take stock of where each team is at in the Six Nations. And we'll cross stateside to Jeff Shepherd. If you want to get in touch, text us on 51552 or tweet at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Welcome along. We are going to get straight into cricket this evening. The one-off test between Afghanistan men and Ireland men is finally poised at the end of day two with the host squeezing out a 26-run second innings lead with seven wickets in hand. Cricket commentator Andrew Leonard joins us now. Andrew, how are things? Yeah, very good evening from here in uh, in Abu Dhabi. A lot of excitement amongst the Irish travelling supporters. Maybe not on the brink of a first test victory, but certainly still in the contest two days into this test match. Yeah, it uh, sounds good so far. Before we get into the match itself for the action, can you just give us a little bit of context about how important this is for the Ireland cricketers? Yeah, look, it, it's the pinnacle of the game. Test cricket, it still is. It's uh, at points much maligned because it obviously goes on a bit longer than the, the hugely attractive T20 that kind of lights up our screens with the franchise leagues and, and a T20 World Cup that's to come in June. But test cricket, very much for the players in particular, they still see it as the pinnacle of the format, the ultimate test of all things cricketing. And for Ireland, they've done a lot of hard work to be able to get to test status. Uh, they got there after a, a long campaign of being the best associate or, or kind of next level down member in the world alongside Afghanistan they came up alongside them played their first test on home soil in Malahide back in 2018 against Pakistan we played seven since then this is the eighth Ireland have never won one but I think this is really the first time there's a real chance of victory. Only once before have they had a first innings lead. That was against England in Lourdes back in 2019. This time they have a first innings lead again, but Afghanistan battled back in that final session to probably leave it hanging in the balance nicely after two days. So Andrew, just on the test front and I guess where we're at uh, yesterday and today aside, are Ireland making progress on the test front? Oh, look, I, th- I think there's no doubt um, the, the players have been very, very vocal about wanting to play more tests and after a, a four-year hiatus, which, being honest with you, was mainly driven by kind of COVID and then all of the white ball fixtures, which is the ODIs and the T20s that stacked up uh, because of the kind of the delay of the fixtures and not being able to get on the pitch for quite a while. We had four tests last year, one in Bangladesh, two in Sri Lanka and then a, a second trip back to Lords. Now, being honest, it's very difficult for the guys because they don't play red ball cricket at home, which is, is the kind of cricket that's played in test matches with white clothing red balls it goes on for longer both sides bat two times it's, it is the ultimate test like I was saying so it's incredibly difficult for the guys but they're asserting themselves well again just the second time they've had that first innings lead Mark Adair has been outstanding here with seven wickets in fact all 13 wickets Ireland have taken have gone to their seamers in somewhat friendly conditions I think the weather gods have been kind it feels a bit more like Ireland than uh, the Gulf sort of 18-19 degrees and a breeze and a little bit of even kind of talk of some rain in the coming days we can make it rain anywhere else Irish <laughs> absolutely uh, it, it sounds like it bodes well anyway so look it, it is the end of day two things are still very close you mentioned that um, fight back from Afghanistan but like overall how positive and um, how much potential is there do you think to get this win well, look, I think having lost the toss the toss is always a big factor in, in test match cricket with the conditions early on day one uh, can be 
kind of either very helpful for the bowlers or very helpful for the batters. In this case, Afghanistan won the toss, chose to bat. They thought it was going to be really good to bat in. But Ireland's bowlers answered the call in a big way, bowling out Afghanistan for 155. Now, they would have liked a bit more of a lead, I think, Ireland. They got 263, lots of starts. Curtis Camp for 49, Harry Tector 32, Paul Sterling with 52, and Lorcan Tucker with 46. But nobody really got a big one. So it meant that Ireland's lead was only 108, and Afghanistan had battled back really well in that last session. The big strength they have as well is they've got great spin bowlers and the spinners come into the game further as test matches go with the, with the pitches naturally crumbling a bit so if Ireland can maybe bowl out Afghanistan tomorrow keep them to a lead of 180 190 I think if they have to chase anything over 200 it could be very difficult but the fact they're even in the contest is a huge credit to Andy Valberni and Paul Sterling and all the leaders of the Irish team So what are you expecting from day three then? Look, day three, I, I can't explain how important the first hour is because, again, the talk is that it will be overcast. Ireland's strength is very much in their same bowlers. Market air has been sensational for the last three years across all three formats. But Barry McCarthy, Curtis Camphor and Craig Young have got two wickets apiece each. They've done really well, Young and McCarthy, on their test debuts. I think they've been brilliant. If Ireland could somehow get three wickets in that first hour, it would really bring the game into the balance because Afghanistan's lead, it's a tenuous one. They only lead by 26. And were Ireland to chase anything under 150, they'd be favourites under 100 you'd be in dreamland and look the reality is it takes a long time to win your first test I think New Zealand took something like 40 or 50 attempts to do it Ireland in their 8th effort at it if they could get victory here in Abu Dhabi it would be historic and for the 25 or 30 supporting fans from Ireland well look they'd be ecstatic You're there is it? Is there a sense of pressure that expectation on them? I, th- I think the fact it's such a settled squad uh, there's no real youngsters at the moment that are coming through the ranks or, or certainly haven't been capped of late even though there's a few debutants in this format the likes of Young McCarthy and Van Orkham they're all very experienced hands they've all played a lot of international cricket Young and McCarthy are in their 30s and they're such a nicely settled kind of mature group of lads they seem to be taking it all in their stride there'll be nerves no doubt absolutely certain of that but it's kind of hard to state just how, how massive a moment for Irish cricket this would be even getting to test status was a huge achievement I think many people thought once it came we, we might take an awfully long time 15, 20, 30 years to win one well here we are six years down the line we could well be on the brink of a, of a first test victory if not probably won't finish tomorrow I'd say very likely to finish on day four and that'll be a Saturday morning get up I think the coverage starts 6am back home in Ireland I know a lot of people be keeping their eyes on the Six Nations but keep your eye on our cricketers as too they're, they're really doing this proud the men and women right now Yeah it sounds great Andrew you've built it up uh, so nicely so if anybody has a day off tomorrow and plans on sitting in front of the couch. Where can they watch it? Well, get the alarm clock set. It's a 6am start, 10am uh, local time, 4-hour time difference, all live on Premier Sports HD. I'll be there with all my co-commentators, Noel O'Brien and all the team. We've got two Irishmen on the commentary, which is fantastic. And look, it's a world-class production and, and we've had messages from all over the world. Irish fans enjoyed it in Australia, in North America, down in Africa as well. It's look such a great travelling support for Ireland and a massive, massive 48 hours for, for Andrew Balburnie and his team. Okay, Andrew, uh, Leonard, thank you so much all the way from Abu Dhabi. It does feel like a big moment uh, for the Ireland cricketers in action against Afghanistan. There's two days down, probably a day and a half to go and hopefully they can record that test win that they so desperately need. Andrew, thank you so much. Um, enjoy the rest of your trip and we will talk to you soon. We're going to take a very quick break now. Stay with us though because we'll be looking ahead to the start of the Formula One season. Game on on 2FM. 2FM. 
Hi, welcome back. Before we turn our attention to the brand new Formula One season, we have a competition for you. This week on Game On, we're teaming up with Energia to give away some fantastic prizes. You could be roaring on Ireland women's rugby team at one of their home games in this year's Guinness Six Nations. We've got match tickets, spending money and more to give away across this week. What else could you need? Don't be just half a fan. Think of the possibilities and get behind the Ireland women's rugby team. On this evening's show, you could win a family set of four tickets a 300 euro hotel voucher so you can make a weekend of it plus we're including 200 euro spending money for games against Italy, Wales or Scotland to be in with the chance to win simply answer the following question Neve Briggs captained which country to their 2015 Six Nations title simply text the word Energia along with your name answer and email address to 51552 and as always RTE Competition terms and conditions apply. Do see 2fm.ie for details. It really is a brilliant competition and so well worth um, entering because uh, you could have a weekend away and everybody loves that and watching a bit of sport and having some spending money in your pocket as well. Now, I did mention that we're going to be looking ahead to the brand shiny new Formula One season. Declan Quigley, cycling and motorsport journalist, joins us now on the line. How are you, Declan? I'm well, Marie. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on this evening. It's uh, another shiny, season. shiny time. It yeah. is a shiny yeah. time. It is an exciting time. Are you looking forward to it? Are you looking forward to it more than ever before, or does it get all the same after a while? Oh, it's never the same. I mean, do you know what is it remarkable? Is that not one single driver? You know, all the drivers are in the same cars, same teams uh, this year, which is the most extraordinary thing because that never happens. So that's really unique that we have all the same drivers. I mean, that obviously is going to change next year because Lewis Hamilton's off to Ferrari. And an awful lot of what we look at this year is going to be around, you know, it'll be around how Lewis is getting on against uh, against George Russell and how things, what's the dynamic at Ferrari. And, and that's going to keep us entertained, I think, throughout the year. And now I always look forward to it. it, it it's 24 races this year. It's, yeah, it's, it's bigger. new record. Great. Yeah. It's... um. Okay, there's no drivers moving, but there's been so much drama that we probably peaked in the terms of what was happening um, off the track. Um, I guess the the earlier move with Hamilton going to Ferrari, that tension between Mercedes and Red Bull, and of course the investigation into Mr. Christian Horner, which I don't think anybody saw coming. He was cleared of inappropriate behaviour, but it's certainly been a dramatic lead-in, hasn't it, Declan? It's, it's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? I mean... I know you like soccer, and um, I'm sure Klopp is probably better known than the central forward for Brentford or whatever. You know, and similarly, Christian Horner is probably way better known than most of the drivers on the Formula yeah. One grid, apart from a few smattering. He's married to Spice Girl. He, 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 but you know, but the, you know, which came first, chicken or the egg? You know, the Spice Girl come from? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Uh, he's been around a long time. Yeah. Uh, he, I still think of him as a bit of a whippersnapper, but he's actually 50. Oh, wow. He's been around since 2005, yeah. And both he and uh, Total Wolf are the only guys that actually have any bit of longevity as team principals in Formula 1. It's almost like a sort of soccer-style conveyor belt and um, rotation of managers and team principals. Um, but he's there a long time. There's, uh, you know, the dynamic in Red Bull has changed over the last few years, and there's so much talk about politics i mean mm-hmm. very few there, there's very little information is available in the public domain about the allegations um around christian horner and a female employee who made an allegation there was an internal investigation there was an independent lawyer appointed by red bull um 
secrecy, not much openness and transparency, which is the the modern way. But then, would that be the case for every employee? It's a it's a confusing one, isn't it? And but almost all of the Formula One team principals, especially those that he might be in direct competition with. Um, have come out and kind of not exactly given them a vote of confidence and asked Red Bull to to be a little bit more open about it. So has Formula One. Uh, so has the FIA, who you know make the rules. Um, so too, because slightly weirdly, have Ford, who are going to supply engines to uh, to the Red Bull team in 2026. So they're not even the current engine supplier, but they they've said they don't so much want openness and transparency as they want a quick resolution. And they got that this week because they decided yesterday that uh, he had no, there was no further, uh, you know, that the allegations were unfounded, unproven, and that nothing more would happen. Except about only in the last hour, and I don't know if you've heard this, but um, there's a bit slight development in that there's a couple of anonymous email accounts have distributed a dossier, a file that includes... Um, a couple of emails that are alleged to have come from Christian Horner to the unnamed email employee. And this right. is, I mean, this is just breaking in the last, yeah. So, whether these particular documents end up in the public domain remains to be seen. Whether that can possibly happen, they've been distributed throughout the F1 world to accredited media, to um, Formula One personnel, to all the team principals, and notably to. Um, Jos Verstappen is the father and manager of, of Max Verstappen, his lead driver. So it's it's an odd one. It's still it's still running. Um, yeah. It's gone. It's gone beyond the particular incident. Nobody's talking about this woman and and what she may or may not have gone through. Everyone. It's just politics at this point, isn't it? And the court of public opinion, like once these once the evidence is leaked, it can be a very dangerous place to be trying to win any sort of a battle. So it'll be interesting now to see how that all unfolds. Um, we'll be keeping an eye on it, that's for sure. So tell me then about On Track. So you mentioned that it's going to be a longer season um, than before. How do you feel about that? Um, it's very interesting. I mean, we had, a, we had a practice session today on the Mercedes, which, you know, they've been on the back foot for the last couple of seasons. They were fastest. Um, George Russell said, let's not get too carried away. Everyone thinks that Red Bull, which had a pretty good uh, test run in Bahrain ahead of the the first round of the season. We're in Bahrain for this weekend's race, by the way. That they might actually have had a heavy fuel load and been just running testing for the race and not really sort of, they were hiding their load under a bushel of fuel, really. And so they, no one's getting too carried away with that pace, but it does look as if Mercedes have, have made, made some decent improvements. Interestingly enough, this is the third year of this particular set of regulations. And what, hap- what usually happens is that the longer the regulations are there, the the more the field becomes condensed on time because everybody who wasn't up to speed to begin with kind of cottons on by copying what the other teams are doing and it all kind of condenses the field. So that they, as, as these regulations develop, that's when we get the really good years, the really close years. Um, somewhat surprisingly, Red Bull having won all but one of the races last year and, and it was a bit of a yawn fest, let's, let's be honest about it. I mean, Max Verstappen's third title at 26 years of age won 54 races. I couldn't get over that. You know, I just... Stats. Taking those numbers, they're they're just extraordinary. Um, it was it was utter dominance. He dominated his teammate Sergio Perez, and then that would have been the only bit of crack that we would have got if Perez could have kept up with him. Um, so they they that, kind of though? can he sustain Verstappen sustain that level of performance? He's he's definitely got the hex over Perez. So it's about the car. I mean, and if he and the team are t- totally focused, if these little 
uh, off-track issues or don't become a distraction, as Christian Horner described them, too much of a distraction. You wouldn't imagine that that's going to have a, uh, an immediate impact, but down the line, you know, six months, a year, you'd never know how things start to develop in terms of what drivers want to do, what key technical personnel want to do with their careers. Um, so things can change and change relatively quickly uh, in, in the world of Formula One. But I, I would imagine that they're going to be right there. They, their testing was good. They were very quick. They uh, did have a couple of little uh, niggles of reliability. The best time to have them, I suppose, but it always creates a bit of a doubt. Uh, Mercedes looks strong. They have um, made some changes that are going to suit Lewis Hamilton this year um, in terms of lengthening the cockpit. So we've got a different perspective on the front wheels and it's all a bit complicated, but you know, it looks uh, good. They've also made some very interesting suspension developments. It's almost always talk about aerodynamics. And as you know, Marie, aerodynamics are the devil's work. Like that and electricity, nobody understands. It's a weird alchemy. That, Thank God that, you said uh, that now. Because... Everybody... <laughs> yeah, I have a clue. Yeah, I, I mean, I can talk about, sort of... about aerodynamics. Oh, I can talk about boundary layer separation, <laughs> but I don't really have a clue what I'm talking about. It is very confusing. But they, they've actually made some interesting suspension development stuff, which is kind of you know, in the world that you can kind of pretend you understand, which is, which is interesting. Uh, they look good. Ferrari look really good. Um, Ferrari have done, have made seven or eight detailed changes to their package, which looks like it's been development and, and it's solid. So we'll see how they, how they look. And McLaren are going to be really interesting because McLaren were the interloper last year. They were, they outscored Ferrari in the last, in the second half of the season. And, They've got two new hot two drivers that everybody's interested in. The Drive to uh, Survive Brigade, I think, mm-hmm. really do like and are interested to see how Lando Norris is going to fend off Oscar Piastri. Um, I, I mean, everyone thinks Piastri is the next big thing. I kind of have my doubts. I think Lando Norris is, um, I just took the, the nearest hint of an edge on that, but could easily be wrong. It's really close between them. For somebody like Lando Norris, what should his main goal be for 2024? Um. It's funny when you talk about goals. It's almost like when you talk to an Olympic athlete, you know, so what's your goal? Gold medal. You know? I mean, you don't you don't have anything other than the victory, do you? You know, it's almost like um, a redundant question. Um, they will set performance goals and performance parameters per weekend, per racetrack, and it'll, it'll mostly be based on lap time. Um, you know, fundamentally, if at the end of the year he hasn't taken his first race victory, mm-hmm. he'll probably be get, starting to get frustrated. Um, in fact, there's all sorts of conversations now about whether he's going to get the first win or will it be Piastri that gets to him. At the, at the moment, I think he has got a bit of an edge and I think they've got a shot up. But uh, but Red Bull still looks strong. I think everyone's begging for a little bit of unreliability just to sort of throw it in. You know, so what about Lewis Hamilton? Because he is somebody that everyone is obviously really interested in. How do you think he's going to cope just with everything that will probably be going on outside the outside noise as well? It's 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 really really interesting that he announced before the start of the season, because he's sort of dead man walking at that team, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, even though that's his team and they have made significant developments to their car in the last couple of years that have benefited him. Like he was being, I wouldn't say dominated, but he, he, George Russell Russell had an edge on him in twenty two. They the car was absolutely floundering. They were really struggling. Uh, Amazon was struggling more than Russell, but the detail improvements that that seven times world champion Lewis Hamilton demanded, you know, meant that they changed their development path in his direction to suit him. He then got the edge on Russell. He had the edge on Russell again last year, third in the world championship, best of the rest. Um, 
and and Russell back down in eighth. Almost nothing to choose between them, but somehow, some way, you know, Hamilton is just a little bit above. But at 39, and now heading out of the team and heading off to Ferrari, the the attention of the team has to shift towards towards John, George Russell. And um, fascinatingly, it's 45 Grand Prix since Lewis Hamilton won a race, which is just it beggars belief, really, for a guy he's heading into his 17th season now, I think, isn't it? And and he's there since 2007. And he wins every year, you know, at some stage. it does. He doesn't have big droughts, but this is, you know, catastrophic desert-like drought. And I don't know where the Oasis is, you know, even if we are in Bahrain this weekend, because it's, it's it look, they look good this weekend so far. Let's, we'll have a much better idea by, uh, the, by the end of Sunday afternoon exactly where they're at. But uh, until the flag drops at the end of Sunday, you know, it's still all, in all speculation. So are you expecting any surprises just in terms of teams or drivers? Um, this time last year, we had uh, some interesting interlopers in terms of Aston Martin, you know, and, and Fernando Alonso. They looked solid today, uh, you know, without being amazing. They don't have they don't have that step leap that they got at the beginning of, of 23. So, no, I think it's the usual four teams. Um, but I think they're closer. And it, what Red Bull did with their design this year was relatively radical. And that, yeah, sorry, that's where I was going to a little bit earlier on. Normally, you would, having won all but one of the races last year, you would imagine that they would just develop along the same development path. But actually, they've, they've gone to a concept that Mercedes uh, introduced and then rejected. You know, and they, and uh, Red Bull believe that this is the next step that they need in order to stay ahead of their rivals who will all be playing catch-up. And they've actually done, gone for this relatively rag, uh, radical side pod design, which uh, if it works, well, they're going to look really clever indeed. And, and Mercedes have wondered that they were barking up the right tree, but just didn't bark loud enough or long enough and, and stay with it. So when you look ahead uh, to the calendar, is there a race that you're looking forward to most? Oh. Um, everyone likes Monica, don't they? Bit of a crazy <laughs> I thing. wonder why. <laughs> It's 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 the maddest place to ever run a racing car around it, and it's just ridiculous. Isn't it? Riding a bicycle around your bedroom is Nelson Piquet once famously said. Um, I always like Spa. I mean, I think it's it's a separator. I think any anything that goes up and down a mountain tends to change the you know the the order of things a little bit. Uh, you know, whenever they add, add in topography, it's always fascinating. Uh, any of the street circuits are interesting, but uh, yeah, I like. I suppose maybe I'm a bit of an old traditionalist and things like mums and. Uh, and Spa will, will get my juices flowing. And then what drivers are at risk of losing their drives and what drivers do you think could be contenders for Hamilton seat? Yeah, the Hamilton seat uh, question is going to be really interesting this year. I mean, there's also a crazy conversation in the last few days about whether Sebastian Vettel will come out of retirement or Nico Rosberg. And Rosberg has already put the kibosh on that. He said it's insane. Um uh, there's a guy called Kimi Antonelli uh, running in Formula 2. He's a rookie in F2 this year. And I think he's really interesting. He's part of the, the Mercedes junior program. He's dominated in Formula 4. Yeah, he's won you know, in Formula 3. He is the young Hotchie, young Italian kid that everybody's looking at and believes as a little bit of an edge. He, he qualified 14th for the Formula 2 race uh, uh, this weekend. So that was a little bit of a damp squib for him. Um, but I think, and I hope, that Mercedes go for him because uh, George Russell will have four years under his belt um, when he, you know, at the start of next season, he's ready to lead that team. He is incredibly quick. He's not he dominated 
uh, Lewis Hamilton, but I think he could be a good team leader. And I always like to see youth come in because it's the kids that are tend to be just really just over one lap incredibly quick. They have they, they don't always have the amazing experience that can help them to get the big results. But um, I would hope that that's the case. I suppose where's the, where's the you know where's the rival? I mean, you look at the, the current Formula Grid, who Formula One Grid, who could possibly take it? Carlos Sainz is coming out of Ferrari to make way for Lewis Hamilton. And of course, a lot of people will say that he has a decent shot at getting it. But then for Mercedes, what, you know, the optics aren't great there because they look like they're taking Rocky Reject from mm-hmm. Ferrari and they're sending their superstar away. So, and I, and I would feel a little bit agree. I mean, Carlos Sainz was the only person uh, other than a Red Bull driver to win a Grand Prix last season. So he's probably feeling a little bit disgruntled. Having said that, you know, Charlotte Clark is by, by a tiny, tiny margin faster than him consistently faster so I would expect that you know I didn't think that was a bad idea that they kept Leclerc and, uh, and went for Hamilton um, wouldn't be a bad decision but they, you know the, uh, the McLaren drivers look like they're locked in and they would probably be the ones that they might want to go and buy either Landon or Oscar Piastri but I hope they go for Antonelli Okay and just finally then Declan why is this season going to be better than last year? Um, because they're all going to run into each other in the first corner I don't know yeah um because I think the regulations are tightening up. And as they tighten up, the grid gets closer on time. And when it gets closer on time, it gets more competitive. That's And and we can only hope that Red Bull's, you know, reach by a slightly radical um, design strategy uh, might potentially backfire. So we'll see how it develops. But I think that it, the grid will condense a bit and that, that's what will make it better than last year. I mean, it would be really amazing if they won all but one of the races are all the races this year it just that doesn't happen too often Okay call the championship top two for me uh, I think I think uh, so I think Max is going to win it by one point I, I hate predictions but it's just <laughs> absolutely rubbish plus you might hold me to you know. well, <laughs> I'll have you recorded um, there well, there you go I, I reckon that uh, Max is going to win it by exactly one point from Charlotte Clark Very good um, okay, I will play this back to you um, at the end of the season. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for your time. Enjoy the season. Looking forward to checking in with you over the next few months. Uh, we'll talk to you very, very soon. Declan, we're going to take a very quick break. Uh, stay with us, though. We'll be turning our attention to rugby. Neil Tracy is going to join us in studio. We're going to hear from Mike Cat, and we're going to take stock of where we're at in the Six Nations. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome back. We are going to talk rugby now and a bit of an injury update to, to bring you. Ireland are hopeful that Gary Ringrose and Hugo Keenan will be available for next week's Six Nations game against England after they took part in today's open training session at the Viva Stadium. Ringrose missed the first three games with a shoulder injury. Keenan was ruled out of last Saturday's win over Wales with a knee problem. Ringrose took a full part while back Keenan trained separately. Second row Ryan Baird missed training because of a back spasm while prop Ollie Yeager, who made his debut off the bench against Wales did not take part Michael Corcoran was around that training session today he was at the media and he spoke to Ireland coach Mike Cat Yeah um, three bonus point wins is, uh, is pretty impressive anyway but also just shows that you know Wales Wales are not a you know an easy side and, and I know they're young and everything but they defended exceptionally well they stopped us certain times and um, you know luckily we were able to get across in the last six seconds to, to get that bonus point win but 
Um, it's making sure that we keep driving now. You know, we've got two two more games to go, and it's making sure that we got to twicken them with with the bounce and the attitude that you know we have in the past. And does that last try against Wales, a tight burn effort, epitomise really the the mental strength and the inner belief within the squad that you just keep literally going until the very last second? Yeah, very much. So. I thought I thought our bench performances were were huge. You know, Ronan Keller and, and James Ryan, those guys, Jack and Conan, they they were. They were incredible off the bench and they gave us that, that, that punch go forward type of stuff and we were able to capitalise on the back of it. So I think Stu McCloskey put a big hit in mm. to then get the penalty to then go to the corner to then end up scoring. So for us it's that it's it's the full eighty minutes and the boys are performing for that full eighty minutes is something again we need to do against England obviously. So it's England in their their fortress, you know, it's been a, a kind of a strange six nations championship for them, but certainly we know at home those shirts always appear as if they're a size too small for them because they, t- they t- tend to, uh, to grow into them. Yeah, two out of three games where they are as a team is, is not a bad bad run. So, you know, like I said, in, in there they'll get a lot better. They've got another two weeks to prepare for, for us. They'll be better. You know, Felix has played against us numerous times as well in terms of um, defending the way we play. So, so he's well aware of it all. So it's just making sure that, that we get all our eggs in, 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 in the right basket and, and we play our way. How important is it that you know the next best, the next 10 days or so is, is about Ireland and what you want to do in terms of growing and, and getting better? Yes, the opposition come into it, but primarily your focus has to be on you. 100%. And it always, it always is. If, you know, we've always had a focus on ourselves. We know what's coming. Everybody's aware of it. Everybody studies it. So we know what's coming, but we're going to focus on... on how we need to get better as, as individuals and chase our potential. It's three wins out of three, but they don't hand out any prizes yet. There's still a bit of a bit, uh, where to go. No, they don't. And I think this group of players is, is well aware of that. So, you know, we know how tough it is. We know how tough it is to go to Twickenham and, and, and play an international match. So for us to go there and, and, and do a job and focus on it, we need to make sure we prepare properly. And, you know, given the progress that the likes of Hugo Keane and, and Gary Ringrose are making in terms of preparation, yeah. potentially the two of them coming back in, into the mix, I mean, in terms of getting the match at 23 correct, that's some huge decisions next week. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, it's, it's you know, when you've got world-class players like that sitting out and, and chomping at the bit to get back in, and you've got players that are performing exceptionally well at the moment, you know, that's, that's what you want. That's what you want them to They drive each other to a point where... You know, you, you don't want to give somebody else a go. And I think that's, that's something that epitomises this team at the moment is, you know, everybody that comes in fits in pretty well, pretty well. And then, you know, they, they, they give Andy a bit of a headache in terms of who he's going to pick or not. And just a final question. Does a day like today, training in front of, you know, your fans, five or 6,000 of them, does it really kind of drive home the, 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 the importance of, of the connection there is between the public and this team? Yeah, and, and, and I think... You know, inspire the nation has been something that's just that's happened, and um, you know they're fully behind this team, and, and you can feel it. You feel it wherever you go in the country. You know, when everybody talks about Irish rugby, it's the nation that are with you, and and you know, so to to see all these school kids missing school to come and watch us uh, watch us train is great, and it gives gives the players a real buzz. You know, they want to they want to put on a good spectacle, so it's really nice from from our point of view and be able to play against the, the under-20s as well. It gives them something to, to really have a, have a look at. That was my cat speaking to Michael Corcoran a little bit earlier on. Neil Tracy of Orti Sport joins me now in studio. Neil, just listening to my cat there and reading the injury bulletins from today, does it feel like the good news is outweighing the bad news? 
Yeah, I think I think it does, Marie. Like the the obvious ones, Gary Ringrose and Hugo Keenan. We haven't seen Gary Ringrose yet in the Six Nations Championship. He's missed the the first three games with a shoulder injury, and it does look like he's going to be fit and available for Twickenham next week. Took a, a full part in the session at the the open session at the Viva Stadium. I was down there watching it, and he he did everything that was I'm like go on that tell was us. asked. <laughs> but you know, as Mike had explained to us as well, like he had done bits and pieces of training, kind of various mm-hmm. unit sessions, but he hadn't fully completed a session or gone full contact so he has done that Hugo Keenan then um, it's probably Before more Before we move on to Hugo Keenan what happens with Gary Ringrose from a selection perspective? Uh, well I think to be honest I might actually bring in Keenan Go because I, I think that actually plays into it as well like if I think if Hugo Keenan and Gary Ringrose are both available to play um, I think you would kind of assume Keenan would go straight back mm-hmm. in just because of how important he has been over the last few yeah. years for, for Ireland at fullback and how much he's he's owned that jersey. I know Ringrose has as well, but Andy Farrell has often picked partnerships that are performing well together. And Bundyaki and Robbie Henshaw have been absolutely outstanding for those first three games and their partnership particularly has been really, really good. It might be a bit too much for Gary Ringrose to come straight into the starting team and break that up. So then you wonder, okay, would he be going onto the bench? Now, that's where you start thinking about, you know, you start thinking about <laughs> okay. all the permutations yeah, the and, and Kieran Frawley. Yeah, and yeah. if Hugo Keenan wasn't to make it, okay. I don't know, I'm just talking what I think could happen would be that if Hugo Keenan wasn't to be available for next week, Kieran Frawley would still start at full back. And. Ireland then might have a space on the bench that Gary Ringrose would take because with the way Andy Farrell has gone in these first couple of games um, it does look like he he likes this 6-2 split that he's gone with for the France game and the Wales game and I would be expecting him probably to be going with that again against England so that just leaves your two back options one of those is probably going to be Conor Murray and then the other one if Kieran Frawley isn't in a starting team, it's quite likely going to be Kieran Frawley because he can cover out half and he can cover other positions as well. But if Frawley is in the starting team to begin with, then I think maybe Gary Ringrose would be taking the the twenty twenty three or the twenty three shirt. So, in a long way of explaining it, I think if Hugo Keenan is fit, I'm I'm not certain is Gary Gary Ringrose going to be involved next weekend is. That would that's be a, my. That's a change landscape for him if it comes to pass, isn't it? It certainly is, but that's just the way centre is with this Ireland team, and it ha- always has been so competitive. Mm-hmm. And it's been kind of strange since Bundyaki made his debut back in 2017. How rare, uh, how rarely Andy Farrell or Joe Schmidt has had to actually make a yeah. choice between one of those three for some reason or another. It has just so often fallen that that one of those three is injured at a given moment in time, so the other two pick themselves. Now I know Stuart McCluskey is obviously part of that as well. You could nearly call it a a quartet, and he's been excellent for Ireland as well. But you think Gary Ringrose is probably ahead of him in the pecking order? But I'm not sure he's breaking up Robbie Henshaw and Bondiaki. Wow, that's a good headache to have for Andy Farrell, though, isn't it? It's a great headache to have. <laughs> it's it's an absolutely brilliant headache to have, and. You know, this time last year, it was it was the other way around. Gary Ringrose was probably the the inform and undroppable centre, and Bundyaki had to start off the the Six Nations Championship coming off the bench. He'd lost his place at Connacht at the time. Robbie Henshaw has been in and out with injuries as well, and has had to play that number twenty three shirt uh, quite a bit in the last couple of years. So you know, it's it's all just part of the the way the the swings and roundabouts of a rugby season. So what about Ryan Baird and Ollie Yeager? So Baird missed training because of a back spasm and Yeager 
didn't take part either. Yeah, now we didn't see Jaeger there at the session there today, so I presume he's gone back to Munster to, to rehab what we were told anyway is a knee injury. We don't have any timeline or any greater details on it. I would be, you would be guessing, I think, though, that Finlay Bealham would be coming back onto the bench for next week just because he's such an, an experienced player. And if there's a doubt over Jaeger's fitness, you know, Finley Bealham, you can comfortably put him in there and you know he's going to do a job. Ryan Baird, he had a back spasm this, this morning, we were told, but it doesn't seem like it's a, a major issue. And the impression we get is that he, he should be absolutely fine for, for next week because we are talking nearly 10 days mm-hmm. down the line for this game against England. Yeah, not a bad time to have a back spasm, I suppose. No, get the weekend <laughs> off. Yeah. Now, what about the URC this weekend? Um, anything of interest? Well, yeah, like, I mean, the notable one is... Ulster against the Dragons on Saturday night 7.35 just because it's the first game since yeah. Dan McFarlane stepped down just uh, just over a week ago um, Dan Soper who's their assistant coach and kind of attack coach he's taking on the, the team for the short term until Richie Murphy comes in after the Six Nations when he finishes up with the Ireland under 20s um, Ulster have been in, in really really poor form since the since beating Leinster bizarrely on, on New Year's Day uh, two really, really heavy Champions Cup defeats against Toulouse and Harlequins, and that kind of brought the clouds in over the over them. And then that performance and that defeat to the Ospreys a couple of weeks ago was just really, really poor. And I think you could just see a side that they just looked defeated throughout that match. They they looked like the weight of the world was on their shoulders. We see so often the new coach bounce and the you know just the the freshness that that brings. Dan Soper has been involved with the team for for quite a while, so he knows everyone very very well. And also just the way you look at it, Ulster, their position in the table, they're eighth. They're not in a particularly bad position because there's actually just four points separating Connacht in tenth place from Benetton in the top four. So a win or two either way, and Ulster can go shooting up the table. The Dragons, meanwhile, they're all the way down in fifteenth. Ulster have the likes of Nick Timoney, Tom O'Toole, Jacob Stockdale, Tom Stewart all released from from the Irish squad. Even as as poor as their form has been over the last couple of months, you should be expecting them to to do the job and hopefully kickstart things now for the rest of the season. Okay, so in a way, it is a very important week for them. Neil Tracy, thank you as always for coming in to studio. It's time for another break. But we have the very brilliant Daniel Whiffen coming up very shortly. So stay with us. On 2FM. Now, still just 22 years old, Daniel Whiffen is taking an astonishing year in his stride as he continues to build towards the Paris Olympics. By any measure, Whiffen has enjoyed a meteoric rise over the last 12 months in the pool, culminating in him smashing all expectations last month at the World Championships in Doha when he claimed gold in the 1500 metre and the 800 metre freestyle and walked off with the Best Male Swimmer Award from the event. He was born in Leeds but moved to Ireland when he was just a year old, as he told our own John Kenny earlier today. Yeah, I was born in Leeds. I moved over when I was one. My whole family is from Cork originally. So You've got your dual passports, so I mean, you could in theory be swimming for Great Britain as well, because there was talk about perhaps you switching to swimming for the GB and such. I would never switch, I'm going to be honest with you. I'd never switch. And Samantha's obviously great. Uh, they've supported me in every way. And yeah, I can never swim for uh, GB. I actually think it's better swimming for Ireland. Uh, my goal is to make Ireland a faster country. And we're already doing that because our records are way faster than Great Britain's. <laughs> Loughborough University, tell us about going to Loughborough and why Loughborough? So I uh, moved to Loughborough in September 2020. Uh, the reason was because Ireland isn't that great for distance swimming. We don't really have the amount of people doing it. And I knew if I went, well, I first looked at America 
Uh, America wasn't for me. Nathan didn't want to go, and I, we got to stick together. So uh, Nathan wanted to go to Loughborough, and we looked at it together. And when I saw the facilities and everything, and I actually got really lucky because when I moved was when this whole distance era started in Loughborough. And, mm -hmm because all my group all moved in at the same time and was 12 of us now all doing 850, 900 freestyle and 10K. And it's pretty, uh, pretty cool to say that when I moved, we all moved in together and we've all progressed together. Yeah, so obviously that progression, moving away from Ireland to, to Loughborough University has, has certainly helped you, and your brother as well, because yeah. although he's not on the par with you at the moment, he's your twin brother, Nathan. He did well in the recent universities swimming meet as well, and um, he's obviously on a push for Paris too, is he? Yeah, I think, to be honest, in my head, he's going to make it. He trains really well. I know, so you can judge off training of how fast you can go in a race, roughly, and he's, he's on track to hit the time, in my opinion, and... Uh, I mean, that's one of my goals for this year is to be on an Olympic team with Nathan. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's this group in Loughborough. Nathan obviously recently just joined it about a year ago, switched from backstreet to freestyle, and he's, he's just going up and up with his progression. Same with me, I'm just keeping progressing. And adding Nathan to the group has only made our group even better, and uh, everybody's just reaping the rewards of it. How have you found that progression in the last couple of years going through European championships and now becoming a double world champion? It's been pretty rapid, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, so it's been really like, it's my fourth year in Loughborough starting, so it's been about three and a half years. Well, it's been three years since I qualified for the Olympics nearly. And uh, since then, I guess I literally haven't taken a step back or I've just been progressing. We went from making an Olympics to making a world final to then making a Commonwealth Games medal to then placing fourth at the World Championships and breaking a world record, becoming a three-time European champion and then double world champion. I mean, uh, we are just really stepping up each time we swim, which, I mean, I'm happy to see because it's always good to see a good steady progression line. Nathan, you mentioned him already. You have this YouTube channel as well, teaching people the rudiments of, of swimming, and especially at a high level as well. That seems to be going well for you, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So we obviously put out these videos all the time. And well, my goal and Nathan's goal is really just to kind of inspire a new generation and also I guess it is to get more attention on our, on our sports swimming. Uh, we're not the biggest sport in Ireland, well not yet, maybe we are at the moment in the media but we are really just about trying to bring more eyes to swimming and get more people on the pole and get more supporters because at those Olympic Games swimming is, well swimming is one of the main sports, definitely top two sports at the Olympics and it is one of the most well watched and the hardest to get tickets for. I mean we're just trying to bring more eyes to the sport in Ireland. Mm. Our YouTube channel really just about we put the videos out to show what we do and then people I always see people come up like oh I made the same meal that you made in a YouTube video and I, it just makes me laugh and it makes me it makes me kind of like happy because I see all these people trying all the stuff that I've been doing and I would love that when I was younger I would love to see somebody at a high level showing what they do in a, in a based on the daily life and uh, I think it's pretty special that. I guess younger children have that from our YouTube videos, but I, I, I don't know how to, it sounds a bit weird to be saying that, but I, I just think it's kind of cool. Yeah, does it feel like you're giving something back to the sport? 100%. I feel like that's what I always wanted to do. I don't want to leave a sport where giving, well, making some on my own or giving some back. And definitely the YouTube channel is definitely showing uh, people a new light of swimming and what actually happens in training sessions and what how a world champion would train and stuff like that. But yeah, well, I mean, we're not done yet, so uh, we've got at least another 10 years of YouTube videos coming. 
Just to tell the people there's a difference, of course, between what you do up to the in the winter is short course pool, 25 metre pool, your standard pool. Then you go into the long course season, which includes World Championships, Europeans, <laughs> and now, of course, the Olympics as well. Which do you prefer, short or long course? Uh, I'm a long course swimmer. I think it's more prestigious. Uh, obviously, I've won many medals. I've got a world record short course, but long course is where it's at for me. I mean, we've still got Irish Olympic trials coming up at the end of May. Will you I'm, do those? Uh, yes, I will be okay. there, uh, 100%. I want to... I even know if I'm not going to be arrested, I still want to show up for the Irish crowd. And I also want to watch my brother, because mm. uh, we're obviously big sports of each other. And, uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to see who else can get on the plane. Obviously, we've got three of us at the moment. Uh, I'd like That's to see... yourself, Mona McSherry and uh, Alan, Alan Walsh. Walsh. Yeah. And uh, I'd love to see a couple more. I'd love to see a couple more boys, to be honest. I know we've got a shout with John Short. He's only 17, he's just turned 17, and mm -hmm. it'll be pretty cool for him to we see We have a women's relay, of course. Women, and a men's yeah. relay as well. Yeah, that's on the, on the on border. The, on, yeah, it's on, on the cusp of yeah. they need to get a couple of qualifiers individually. But the women's relay, well, that in theory should be going, so that'll be pretty good to see. Uh, and that, Well, we had a relay last time, but this relay just seems like it will be quite a good contender for mm. a final. You're telling me as well that you, sometimes you prefer training rather than competition. Why is that? Yeah, I, I do prefer training than competition. I think training is just a load of fun. I love it. Uh, competition's high-pressure situation, you know. You're nervous, everything. You f go through all the emotions. Where training, I just turn up, I have fun with my friends, I train really hard, and I, I can do that even when I finish swimming. I just enjoy it so much, and I think this is one of the main factors that I think a lot of people need to learn, is that if training, you, you know, you don't need to measure success on medals or anything like that. I could, I, I could swim and not win a single medal and I'll still train away. It's just enjoyment and that's how I judge how successful it is for me. If you break down what's coming to Paris, as you say, um, 400, you'll say, 80, 8 and the 15 are the, are the two main goals. Gold? Is that what you're thinking? Uh, I'm thinking definitely medal. I feel like uh, winning World Champs gold, I, I would have medaled in the last World Champs of my times. To be honest, a medal I'd be happy with any colour. It doesn't have to be gold. Preferably, you know, we'd love a gold, obviously, to see, but I'm happy with any colour. You say you're a proud Irishman. Obviously, we wish you the very best of luck in Paris. Thanks for talking to us today, Daniel. Thank and you. We wish you the very best of luck in Paris. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Game on. Eye on America. Now it's time to go stateside, and I'm delighted to say that Jeff Shepard joins us. How are you, Shep? I'm doing great, Marie. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for taking the time this evening. Lots of interesting things um, going on stateside. And I want to get in to all of the women's basketball, the, the college um, news. But first of all, I want to ask you about Tom Brady. So he has <laughs> recorded a quicker 40-meter dash now at 46 than he did when he did the combine over 20 years ago. Can you make sense of that for me, please, Chef? <laughs> I mean, I, um, I, it's got to be, you know, diet and the TB12, you know, lifestyle that he adopted, what, 10 or 15 years ago to kind of help him, you know, stay in shape. You know, Marie, it, it's funny when you say that because um, there's this famous picture. I'm sure you've seen it of, of him. You know, we're, we're getting ready for the NFL scouting combine uh, this week where the college players that are going to be eligible for the draft, they all go to Indianapolis and they get measured and weighed and all this stuff. And there's this famous picture of Tom, a shirtless, you know, 21 or 22-year-old Tom Brady just kind of standing there and he doesn't look like the guy that he grows up into become this, like, handsome buff dude, you know? Um, so uh, it's kind of hard to believe, but he's probably in better shape today than he was 25 years ago. I mean, I think that's the short answer is he's just taking care of himself so much that he's just in great shape and it's hard to believe, right? 
There's a lesson in that for all of us, Shep. <laughs> yes. Okay. He lives I, a very clean, li- a very clean lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yes. probably really bored, though. But anyway, I want to talk about <laughs> the women's college basketball. And yeah. like you, I'm so interested in this because I follow a lot of the players on Instagram. And they yeah. have been absolutely brilliant. A breath of fresh air. Um, so many great stories. So many great coaches as well. And brilliant players. And we have to start with Caitlin Clark. The records that she's just been smashing. The... The, just the fact that she has been in the spotlight she is up there with all of the big basketball players and last night she broke the all-time women's scoring record tell me about that yeah so she scored 33 points last night in an in an Iowa win at the University of Minnesota so they were in you know a, a couple of states away in Minneapolis playing and you'd have thought that there was a home game I mean even you know she's kind of gotten to this point where kind of almost like um when Steph Curry was at Davidson when he was in college he'd go on the road and you're there to go see him like you're not there to even see your team you know you're there to see Caitlin Clark play um I mean she has true you know, what we call over here, you know, as soon as she steps off the bus, she's in range. You know, I mean, it, she is hitting shots near half court, you know, all the time. She is just a phenomenal player. And so, yeah, so she broke the, uh, you know, the women's all-time scoring mark. And this week, she needs 18 points to, to break the men's record, too. So, um, which would be interesting. You know, she, you know, of course, is playing now in the, the age of the three-point shot, you know, which they didn't have, you know, for a long, long time. But, I mean, she's just a phenomenal player. And she's getting, she, she's got eyeballs on TVs. I mean, she's yeah. got everything that you want, you know. I mean, who doesn't want to watch Iowa play because you just want to see where she's going to shoot from next? Yeah, well, I have to say I do like watching Angel Reese. Can you hear me, Shep? I think we we might have lost Shep, but that's probably a good time because we're actually out of time. But I do want to uh, tell you our competition winner and the amazing prize that I told you about earlier on, the Energia Prize that wants to send someone to one of Ireland women's rugby home games in this year's Guinness Six Nations. Neve Briggs is, of course, the answer. She captained Ireland to the Six Nations title in 2015. So I want to say congratulations to James Foskin of County Waterford, who has just won a family set of four tickets, a €300 hotel voucher and €200 spending money. And the good news is that there's one more chance to win with Energia so please do tune in tomorrow and we'll be giving away another prize that is all we have time for though Betta De Silva is up next RTE 2FM Game On on 2FM Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash Let the confidence last